Well, good evening. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. If uh, you haven't been with us and you'd like to have some notes, they're in a book like this. And you can look for the Wednesday night listing there. That's where we're at. Harrison, who was up here uh, helping Dr. Marvel, is my first first grandchild. And uh, when he was on the way, his mother... My daughter said, I want you to build him a crib. Uh, Her impression of my woodworking skills appears to have been several levels beyond my actual skill. (laughs) You know, her her impression of me is that I fixed things and kind of made things and did things, but building a crib is a whole other story. And so I kind of pushed back and I said, I, I can't build something like that. And yeah, yeah, you, you don't push back on Molly very successfully. She <laughs> usually wins that pushback. And so I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. So thankfully, the Internet was already invented. And I went online and I said, I Googled how to build a crib. And uh, a website popped up. A website popped up that said, here's the plans to build this crib. Called it an heirloom crib. Uh, And and so I got blueprints to build a a crib and all of the metal pieces that you needed, all the little screws and joints and so so on. And uh, I did my best to follow that plan. And what do you know? I built a crib for Harrison. There's Harrison when he was born. How old? Is he seven? I can't believe that was seven years ago, but I followed the plan. Uh, boy, I've never measured twice and cut once so much in my life. Measure, man. Uh, uh, uh. And, uh, you know, if you have a good plan and you follow it, you're very likely to come up with something good. <laughs> and the, the coolest thing that I realized as I've been meditating on this passage for the last probably year or couple of years, before I even ever had an idea that I would be speaking here, and, and, and if you're interested, this is the first time I've ever preached through this passage, but I've been meditating on it for a long time, and I began to realize this section here in the middle, verses 5 through 7, is a plan for growth. It's not just a collection of do this, do this, do this. It's a step-by-step plan to arrive at Christ-likeness. And so I want to try to begin to teach this tonight, try to help you understand it as I've come to understand it, because I think this is what I needed when I was a young Christian. I needed to know how to grow and, and where I needed to be going. So follow, please, as I read Second Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, 
by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these, through these promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so for this very reason, because we've been given this great salvation, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. I just want to look at the first half of this pattern tonight and start with the one that Peter started with and say this, again, Christian growth begins with faith. On our first night, Monday night, we looked at the preciousness of our faith, but we have to stop again and remind ourselves The morality of Christ, the love of Christ, the goodness of Christ that he demonstrated on earth can only be ours when we start by faith in him, by believing in him. And the reason for that is is summarized in verses like this. You, God has made alive who used to be totally overrun in your trespasses and sins. If you are not a believer in Christ, whether you know it or not, whether you perceive it or not, you are dominated by the sin in your life. And it's not possible for you to live righteously. When you have accepted Christ by faith, you have a new life. That faith connection to salvation is summarized here by John at the end of his gospel Truly, Jesus did many other signs or miracles in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. You know, we we read about the miracles of Jesus, and we go, ooh, and ah, and we wonder at them. And John says, many others were written. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. Again, I want to stress tonight, if you've never believed in Christ as your Savior, you need to because it is the beginning of a great life here and eternity in heaven. And that new spiritual reality that touches all aspects of life, as we looked, looked at last night, is summarized in a verse like this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That is the potential for us. And as we start to look at this pattern for growth, the most important aspect of this new life, I believe, is summarized here. If we have been united together in the likeness of Christ's death, we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that our old man, our sinful nature, was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be the slaves of sin or be controlled by sin, We do not have to be controlled by sin. We do not have to be trapped in the corruption that is in the world through lust. We can live in new life. And that new life in Christ grows through this pattern of growth. When I was building that crib, I came to a point at which I had to drill about 10 holes in each leg. Um... And you know, here's the plan, and it says drill a, drill a three-eighths hole right here. Drill a three-sixteenths hole right here. And all of this hardware was screwed in 
and then later screws were put in. The scariest thing I ever did is, is because of the finishing process and the timing and everything, I never actually put it together until I drove it to Molly's house in Wenatchee, and I got all the, I got the, the two ends, the two sides and all this, and I screwed it all together, and praise God, it all went there because I followed the plan. But along the way, I'm, I'm going to drill like 10 holes in each leg. And uh, so I, I got my right size drill bit and I got my drill press. You know, I bought a new drill press. I told my wife I won't spend more than what the crib is worth on new tools. And she said, you go right ahead. It's for the grandchildren. You know. So I drilled the first hole and then I measured to the second hole and the third hole. And, and there was like 10 or 12 holes. And then I measured again. And you know what I did? I got all of those holes in the right proportion to each other, but the first hole was in the wrong place. And each one of those legs is made out of three pieces of wood laminated together and then shaped and formed. And I drilled all. And I, you know, once I got it laid out and I drew lines across all four, I drilled them all. And then I remade them all. Because I started in the wrong place. One of the little pieces of the quote that I read from Bill Gates last night, it summarizes what a lot of people in the world would say. He says, I, I think the morality of religion is not a bad thing. You cannot have the morality of Christ without the life of Christ in you. And it starts when you believe in Christ as your Savior. That's why Paul wrote this, No other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You need to believe in Christ so that you can have the life of Christ. That's why the first action step in Christian growth is this. Examine yourself as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know whether Jesus Christ is in you? The most important thing that I could possibly say is that if you have any doubt about knowing Christ as your Savior, please talk to me before you leave camp this week. Don't, don't leave here. Don't leave here without knowing Christ because th- there's two realities that you have to come to grips with. One is you don't know what's going to happen when you leave this campground. And I could tell you all kinds of stories about people dying unexpectedly. One of my favorite, he didn't die, but he came to understand something about death from a missionary friend who was hit by a truck and flew through the air 100 feet And he didn't see it coming. And he didn't remember any of it. And you know what his takeaway was? You can die and not even know it. (laughs) Did you ever think about that? Did you ever think about whether or not you'll see your death coming? I don't know if there's somebody in this room who's thinking, you know, someday I'm going to believe in Christ. That's a good thought. But the danger, the danger spot you put yourself in is this. You might die and not see it coming. The second thing that I would say to you about believing in Christ now is this. Get started in the Christian life right now. There's blessing to be had. There's good stuff to be had. And I know sometimes it looks like more about taking stuff away than getting stuff, but it's not the way it is. It's not the way it is. Once you're in Christ, we need to realize that Christian growth 
is the perfection of character. If we were to define what is the, what is the goal, what is the process about, it's about the perfection of character. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, for the reason that God has put the life of Christ into you with the possibility of becoming like him and escaping the corruption that's in the world, for that reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Add to your faith. Now, if we understand the word faith to be referring to salvation, that's starting to sound just a little bit funny theologically. You're telling me I can add something to salvation? Not at all. But something can be added to your walk with Christ. This verse from Hebrews gives us a clue about about the nature of what's being said here. By one offering, Christ has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. There's two truths in this verse. And the first one is this. When Christ died on the cross and paid for your sins, and when you believed in that sacrifice, you were perfected. You were perfected. Do you feel perfect tonight? Is there any rough edges out there? You say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got one little thing I'm struggling with, Dave. You know? And that's because, that's because, he did perfect you forever, but while you're here on earth, there is a process of sanctification. That's a big word for becoming more holy, more like Christ day by day. So these two things are both true. God has perfected you forever. In that sense, you cannot add anything to your salvation. But in the sense that you grow day by day, you can add something to your salvation. You can add to your Christ-likeness. Because here's God's goal for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be escaping hell. Is that what it says? That we should be a little bit different than the people around us in the world who don't believe. Now what does it say? God's goal for you is to be holy and without blame in front of him. Now, now you all look like fine people to me. I haven't seen anybody do anything bad, weird, you know. But we're talking about judgment in front of God. God's plan for saving you through Christ is that when you stand in front of him, you are going to be perfectly holy and without blame. Now, we know that God's going to finish this process when we see him. 1 John 3 tells us that. But in this time right now, that's the goal that we're after. And that's the goal that God is after for us. So when we think about adding to our faith, what he's talking about is growing up in Christ And I love the way that Paul put it here in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, as we look into the word, as we know God, as we grow in him, we are transformed into that image of God from glory to glory. And so our growth in Christ is not just adding on a behavior here or there, it's actually changing who we are and we're becoming more like Christ. 
Our salvation was accomplished by God so that we could become godly in every aspect of life. That's the goal, that's the plan, to become godly in every aspect of life. How does that growth start? Look back with me at first, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Because God has given us this great salvation, you should add to your faith virtue. Christian growth starts with obedience. The word virtue, and the NIV translates it goodness, if you have the NIV, that's a pretty good sense of the word. The best sense might be moral excellence. Now, given its place in this list, and if you believe in God's word like I do, you know that God's word is not given out randomly. God didn't sit up there in heaven and think, oh, here's ten words. Uh, Throw them in there, Peter. No, and especially because of the repetition of the words, add to your faith virtue, add to virtue knowledge, add to knowledge self-control. There's this real significant repetition. And so if we say, well, we've started with faith, now we're going to add virtue. That same virtue is word used of Christ earlier, of his good behavior. And so I think the image we should have in our mind is you're starting out in Christ, you have faith. Now, what is step two? Step two is virtue. It's doing good. It's being good. It's moral excellence. I think James is the one who has summarized it up for us here. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is, is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, for he observes himself, he goes away, and immediately he forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that's a synonym for God's word, and he continues in it, and he's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer, this one will be blessed. And that's why I've chosen the word obedience here as the second step. You get saved in Christ, and then you look into the perfect law of liberty, and you say, what do I see? And here's a truth, and you say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. You know, in the morning, you get up and you probably look in the mirror at some point. Some of us need less time in front of the mirror than others. You know, when I cut my hair off a few years ago or when I had somebody else cut it off, it was, it was one of the most liberating days of my life. I, you know, I, I look in the mirror kind of like the fawns used to. Perfect. Every day it's perfect. Even if I don't take a shower, it's Perfect perfect every day but there are other things that aren't quite so perfect sometimes and they need attention if you're a christian and you're saying i want to honor god i want to grow in god the way you do it number one is you say what do i know i should be doing and whatever you know you should be doing then you should be doing it and you need to make a plan you need to get after it When you teach a child arithmetic, where do you start? What's the first thing you have to... My friend Jim is a second grade teacher, so they've already learned something about numbers before they come to you. What's the first thing you've got to teach them? If you're going to teach them... If you're going to teach them one plus one is two, what's the first thing you have to teach them? (laughs) What one is? What one is? What's a one? Yeah, what does it stand for? And so you have... You know, here's, here's one, here's another one. You know, and you teach these basic concepts and you stack up 
one concept on top of the other. You can't go one plus one is two until you know what one is. Christian, you can't go one plus one is two. You can't go on to the more complicated concepts of the Christian life without the basics. And the basics are learned by obedience to what you know. So whatever it is you know, that's the starting point. You walk through the day, and uh, somebody comes along and says something, and you're tempted to say a, a bad word back. And the Holy Spirit goes, don't say that. That's a point of growth. Are you going to say the bad word, or are you going to respond with a godly word? Maybe you have a particular temptation, and as you go through your day, that temptation comes to you, and the Holy Spirit goes, don't do that. That's a point of growth. Until you cross that boundary, that barrier, you're not going on to something more significant. That is the first step. What do I know? How can I do it? Then Christian growth progresses on from there with more truth. Look at 2 Peter 1.5. Add to your faith virtue, obedience, doing the things that you know. Add to virtue knowledge. Add to virtue knowledge. We could put it this way. Step two is to learn some more steps. That's why God's word talks about itself this way. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable. It's valuable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. With what goal? So that the man or woman of God may become complete. That's another way to say completely holy. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Your time in the word is critical to your Christian growth. Critical. Couldn't be a whole lot much, a whole lot more important. First tool that I remember buying was channel lock pliers. And I bought them because I had a plumbing problem. I should have left them in the store. <laughs> you know, you measure plumbing repairs in trips to the store, not in dollars <laughs> or hours. I had some kind of a plumbing problem. I, I, I remember taking apart a P-trap under a, under a sink, uh, something like that. Well, in the 35 years since I bought that first tool, I have added many more tools, hand tools, power tools, big tools, tools, small tools. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss book for men, doesn't it? When something breaks in my house, as it did a couple of weeks ago, I came home. The, the pressure relief tank on top of the water tank was spouting water. I had all the tools that I needed. I had to go to the store and buy a part, but I had all the tools that I needed because my goal is to be able to take care of my own house. Recently, we needed a cabinet in the church, so I built it. I did not have the tools or the skill for that 35 years ago. I could not have done it. But after 35 years of gathering tools and practicing skills, I'm able to do that now. That's the way the Christian life is. A new believer takes up a piece of truth and says, that's what I have to do. And you do it. And tomorrow you pick up another piece of truth and that's what I have to do. And no matter where you're at in the Christian life, the next step for you is the next truth that you learn. One of those truths 
that I'm going to teach you right now is this. You need to be in the Word of God every day. Let me ask you this question. Don't raise your hand. I don't want you to answer out loud. What is, what is your plan for being in the Word of God and in prayer every day? What is your current plan for being in the Word and in prayer every day? Now, here's the reason that I ask that. Because Christian growth takes place day by day by day by day. Day by day by day. And there is, how would I put this? I don't, I, don't want to be, I don't want to be a little over the top, but it's possible to lose days and maybe not be able to get them back, but you've got to start, you've got to go because God builds in our Christian life like this. Isaiah said, whom will he teach knowledge and whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk? Those just drawn from the breast, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. You know this verse, but you don't know this one, right? You're going, what's that about? It's about a time in the life of Israel when Isaiah needed to teach God's word to God's people. And you know what the problem is? Isaiah said, these people don't know the basics. How can I go on to the more significant truth? He said, you can't just start off with algebra. You have to start with one plus one is two. The most important thing you can do for your Christian life is learn that one plus one. And then, and then learn the fractions. And then learn the division. And, and, and keep on moving because that's how you're going to get to the algebra of the Christian life. Day by day by day, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. We need to be in the Word every day. I hope, I pray, I plan, I prepare to the extent that my people will get a good piece of God's Word out of my mouth twice on Sunday, Sunday school and Sunday morning. And I have done the same thing here. And I hope you will get a good piece of God's Word to go home with. But that's not enough. That's not enough it's got to be every day, every day, every day. And I'm not trying to create a false standard where you beat yourself up because you missed a day with the Lord. What I'm trying to motivate you is toward this. This is the way you grow. You can't grow if you don't know. It starts with knowing God's word and then it progresses to the next step, which is determination or implementation. Add to your faith virtue, add to virtue knowledge, add to knowledge what? What's it say? Add to knowledge. Speak it out. Self-control. Oh, isn't that a fun word to preach on? Add to your knowledge self-control. There's nobody in this room who has mastered self-control, including the guy speaking to you. I know, because a couple of weeks, I said something in a sermon, and I got a note about it a week later. And you know what? I didn't need the note because as soon as the words went out of my mouth, the Holy Spirit said, you shouldn't have said that. And that's why when I was preparing to come here, in my workout time and my meditation on the scripture, I picked up the passage from James 3. 
My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive the stricter judgment. I know, and he, he says, we all stumble in many ways, but if, if any does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. We all struggle with self-control. But here's the thing I want you to understand about self-control tonight. Again, this is not a random list where God sprinkled out a bunch of good spiritual words. This is a pattern. We start by knowing Christ, and then we obey what we know, and then we learn more truth, and then we exhibit self-control to do the new truth that we've learned. The word self-control is literally the word, a word for power. In other words, you've learned truth, now demonstrate power over that truth. You need to act on what you know. When I was a younger Christian, I struggled to understand this term because I read, I read passages like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Holy Spirit's going to produce self-control. Well, what am I supposed to do if he's supposed to do that? How do I interact or intersect with him? Well, I came to understand that this is how I intersect with him. Romans 6, which talks about the freedom we have in Christ through our salvation, says our old man, our sinful nature as an unbeliever was crucified with Christ when we believed in Christ so that the body of sin might be done away and that we would no longer be the slaves of sin. Now, what he goes on to say, he says, it is true that your sin nature was crucified and sin cannot control you, but that's not the end of the story because you have to reckon or decide or deem it to be true in order for it to become effective. Now, we got to be a little careful here about who has the power and who controls your life. I understand but it would appear from everything I can understand in the, in the New Testament, God is not going to make you righteous without your cooperation. And the way you cooperate is by picking up a piece of God's truth and then saying, I will do this. The wonderful truth of Romans 6 is you can do it. You can do it. Sin has been crucified. It cannot control you. Now, I know there are sins in your life where you say, I just can't get over this. That's not true. You know what's true? Is you have habits of sin, and they've been so ingrained that they feel automatic. But I want to challenge you tonight to say, number one, wait a minute. Did Christ not die for that sin? And so I need to stop saying to myself, remember he says you've got to reckon that this is so? You have to say Christ did die for that sin. He did crucify my old sinful nature. I am not the slave of sin. You have to decide that it is so, and you have to act as though it is so. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust, and don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Here is where the rubber meets the road. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Spiritual self-control is acting on the reality that we are free from the control of sin and we are able to do righteousness. 
And that's a choice you have to make. God will not make that choice for you. Now, if you're truly a child of God and you refuse to make that choice, God will help motivate you. And that's what Hebrews 12 is about. And, and we call that the discipline of God. Somehow God will motivate you to do the right thing. I, I've talked to a number of people here about things in, in family life. And one of them was sharing with me that person in their family made wrong choice and it was a disastrous choice. But in the end, they woke up and said, I'm going to follow the Lord because I don't ever want that to happen again. That's the discipline of God. Now, wouldn't you like to avoid those years of difficulty? That's the opportunity that's yours tonight. If you say, I am going to pick up this concept of spiritual self-control, how do you implement spiritual self-control? Number one, recognize sin and righteousness. Recognize sin and righteousness. That's the knowledge we've been talking about here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. You have to read the word and say, here's something that's right. Here's something that's wrong. And so these are the targets for me. Number two, you have to radically... Whoops. Number two, it got kind of messed up on the board there. Radically amputate sin. Radically amputate sin. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Now, I am kind of radical, I'm kind of an extremist, but I'm not advocating physical mutilation because physical mutilation won't help you. If you have a problem with what you look at with your eyes, plucking out your eye won't change what you can see in your mind and what you can imagine. And so Jesus wasn't teaching that some physical change will help us. Let me suggest a few examples. Do you struggle with the sin of gossip? Radical amputation would go like this. I will not talk on the phone unless somebody is listening close to me so that I am accountable for my words. Oh, Pastor Dave, that's just not possible. Would you rather sin because it's hard to amputate it? Or would you, do you really want to do righteousness? Pornography on the computer? Put the computer in a public place and give accountability. Somebody accessed some websites in our church years ago when we were first more, getting more online and uh, one of our men, Wayne, came, went online to use this computer, one of our leaders, and he came to me and he said, uh, there's some questionable sites that have been visited there. And I said, I don't know who's been using that computer. It's, it was kind of a peripheral one. And I said, but I'll tell you this, Wayne, Right now, I'm giving you accountability access to every computer in this place, including mine. You come look anytime you want to look at anything. I don't have a problem looking at pornography on the computer, but I want to be accountable to him, and I want to know that I'm accountable to him when I might need a little extra motivation. Are you serious about getting over that pornography problem? then make the physical changes in your world that you need to radically amputate that sin. You have a problem shoplifting? Don't go to the store alone. You say, well, that's really hard. Jesus says it's harder not to enter heaven. He says it's harder to live in sin. You have a problem getting too physical on a date? 
don't date alone. Well, of course, I'm going out with another person. Uh, don't date just one person then. Take a chaperone, take two or three people, make a commitment to not be alone. Now, some people are going, oh, Pastor Dave, you're a legalist. No, I'm not. You see, I didn't say that any of these standards were the only right way to live. What I said was, if you cannot control your response to sin, you need to control the situation. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Make no provision for the flesh. If you have a problem in any area, here's how you grow. You make a plan to conquer sin. And you make a plan to put on righteousness. How does the little saying go? A dream without a plan is just a wish. You need to plan. That's what Romans 6 means when it says, do not present the parts of your body to sin to do that. Then number three, how do you implement spiritual self-control? Replace sinful behavior with righteous actions. Ephesians 4, I'm sorry, zipped through that. Replace sinful behavior with righteous actions. Ephesians 4 speaks of this at length. I say, therefore, in the Lord that you should no longer... You should no longer live or act as an unbeliever. The word Gentile is a synonym for unbeliever, if you don't know that. In the futility of their mind, if indeed you have heard Christ and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, put off your old sinful conduct and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man which was created according to God. Therefore, here's an example of this principle. Put away lying... By speaking the truth. Spiritual self-control, you cannot stop a sin without starting a righteousness. Recognize sin and righteousness. Radically amputate sin. (coughs) (coughs) Replace sinful behavior with righteous actions. Sometimes when we're trying to live for the Lord, it does feel like a list of things you can't do. Can't do, you know, you can't drink and you can't smoke and you can't dance and you can't go with the girls that do. Why not focus on what God wants you to do? I cannot lie, but I can tell the truth. How liberating would it be if I just said, I'm going to start telling the truth all the time, that I don't have to remember what I said. I can just be a truth teller. (sighs) This brings us right back to the beginning of verse 5. For this reason. What reason? For the reason that we can partake of the divine nature. These are some pictures of the gold coins that were found on the back property, the acreage, of a couple in California. Heard about that story? I don't know, a few months ago, six months ago, a year ago, this couple was out walking on their property. Now, I I know another little piece of the story because I had a friend who used to live down in this area and uh, this is an area where a lot of people grow marijuana, and they still do this today. 
the people who, who grow illegal marijuana down in this part of California don't put their money in banks. They put it in a coffee can and they bury it out on the back 40. And uh, he did a funeral for one of these folks. And after the funeral, all the people that were there helped the heirs, the children, go out and look for the money buried in the back property. That's just the way they live there. Now, this money goes all the way back to, to late 1800s, early 1900s. And I believe maybe somebody can help me out here. The total estimate of the value is something like $10 million or something. They've, they've started to sell the coins just one or two at a time. And the first one or two were sold for, I don't know, thousands of dollars. I mean, really incredible value. These people have been living there for a long time. They've been sitting on 10 million bucks. Yeah, they've been sitting on 10 million bucks. Wouldn't that be cool to go out in your backyard and find 10 million bucks? Yeah. They were living a very common life. And yet there were huge resources at their disposal that they were not taking advantage of. What kind of a Christian life are you living? Are you living a Christian life that's growing, that's moving, that's accomplishing things? One that's giving you blessing and joy and a sense of fulfilling God's purpose? Or are you just sitting on that resource? See, God says he's given it to you. All of the millions of salvation have been given to you, but now you've got to start growing. If you've still got your notebook open, you want to turn to the back couple of pages. Um, hand me yours just a minute, dear, so I can see the page number. Page 24 and 25. I've given you a uh, suggestion for your daily time with the Lord. And what I mean by that is, if you don't have a plan for how to spend time with the Lord... Here is a suggested plan that will get you going. And then I've made a suggestion about a prayer list. And this is just, you know, uh, there's no uh, absolute right and wrong way, but here's a suggestion. And then on the next couple of pages, I've given you a couple of passages of Scripture you might want to start meditating on and trying to memorize. You know what I've told myself all my life? I can't memorize. I can't memorize, I can't memorize, I can't memorize scripture. You know what? That's a lie. That's a lie. You know how you memorize scripture? You get a passage like one of these on a piece of paper and just start reading it, reading it, reading it, reading it, pray through it, think through it, talk to the Lord about it. And after you do that for weeks or months, I don't know, however long you want it, then just start saying, I wonder if I can remember some of that. And that is how God is going to really start to blossom your Christian life. Heavenly Father, hmm, thank you for the millions of value that there is in our salvation. Help us to, to take that value and start using it by growing in Christ. Father, I pray for these people here in specific that when they take a step forward tonight or tomorrow that you will bless that step especially so that they can realize that they're on the path that you've laid out and they will get excited about growth and they will start taking more and more steps day by day. Father, again, I pray for those who might be here and don't know Christ as Savior. Open their hearts, open their mind, help them to want what you are offering. I pray in Christ's name, amen.